come with me. We're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to this next solo episode of Fantastic Cruising. Should I say that in a more epic way? Welcome to Fantastic Cruising. I'll be your host, Matt. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, how's everybody doing out there? This is going to be one of those solo podcasts. Solo. And I'm feeling a little weird tonight, so uh, we'll see where this goes. Anyway, a little bit of housekeeping to take care of as we start off this podcast. First of all, I want to thank everybody who has joined the Fantastic Cruising community over on Facebook. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. The podcast is new, but it is growing very quickly. If you want to help it grow, there are some things you can do besides just joining those two things I just mentioned. Spread the word. Let people know about this podcast. And uh, if they, if you think they'd enjoy it, you know, tell them about it. Tell them about it. Spread the word. If you want to help in other ways, we do have the Patreon page, which right now, I got to tell you, I am working on the postcards. If you join at the $10 a month level, you not only support the podcast, but you get a personalized postcard for me. And right now, because there are not very many Patreons, I'm making them hand-drawn art. So if you're interested in that, I don't know if that's going to stay that way, but you know, for right now, it's kind of extra little bonus. But really, the Patreon is there just to give people an opportunity to support the podcast financially if they choose to do so. Another way you can support the podcast financially is with buying merch. So uh, let me just get all the capitalism part out of the podcast right now. I did launch the Teespring site. You can find it in the notes here. You can find it over on the Fantastic Cruising Community page. I'm sorry, group on Facebook. I've got some different t-shirts and different things up there so check it out there's a lot of cool merchandise over there it looks pretty cool man and i gotta tell you uh i i think that it's pretty popular because we have sold a few of those so anyway that's enough of that blatant commercialism now we're going to get on to what this podcast is really about which is cruising and uh, i want to start this off with a topic that kind of came up somebody posted this over in the fantastic cruising community, this is why if you haven't joined already, you need to get over there because there's interesting conversations going on. Somebody was asking about whether it was worthwhile to go on this short three-day cruise. So, you know, they're about six to eight hours away, like a six to eight hour drive away. And they were inquiring, do you think it's worth it? Is it worth it? What do you think? Is it worth it to do a three-day cruise? What, what are your thoughts? What are your opinions? I think... Like many answers I give in, in this format, that it's not an easy yes or no, black or white answer. There's there's some stuff to consider here. First of all, let me tell you what the advantages are of a short three-day cruise. The first advantage is, it's a cruise. You're on a cruise ship. You're going to at least one port and... Um, it's everything you love about cruising is going to happen in those probably realistically two and a half days while you're on board this ship. So, hey, that right there 
is a pretty big perk. Now, another advantage is maybe you don't have a lot of PTO. Maybe you, maybe you got a boss who doesn't like to give you PTO. Maybe that's all you can do. Maybe all you can get away with is doing a short cruise. You're just maybe you only have to take like one or two extra days off over your weekend and uh, you're not wasting a lot of that time. Maybe you've got other vacations planned. Maybe you're going to go on other cruises and this is just a filler. It's like, uh, you know, when you're really jonesing for a uh, pizza and it's, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, you're going to get a pizza that night for dinner. So what do you do? You grab like a Snickers. Isn't that the, the, th- the way it works? Anyway, it's like a snack. It's like a cruise snack. Three-day cruise is a cruise snack. That's that's an advantage. I mean, look, if you go on a weekend trip, let's say you're going to go to the some beach town, or for me, maybe I'm going to the Florida Keys or, or something like that for the weekend, what's the difference between that and going on a three-day cruise? You're spending like an extended weekend doing something fun in a fun place, in this case, It's a cruise, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast that cruising is something that you enjoy. So those are the advantages of the three-day cruise, the short cruise. What are the disadvantages, you ask? Well, there are some. One is after three days, you have to get off the ship. Nobody likes getting off cruise ships. Well, probably nobody listening to this podcast likes getting off of cruise ships unless it's at a port of course but not permanently off like or you know off for weeks or months until you can get back on there again and and look i've done like cruise ship tours where you're only on there for a few hours that my friends is an exercise in awesomeness and terribleness at the same time because you're on there you get a taste and then you got to get off and it's really painful to get off of that ship three-day cruise, you're not on there very long. Some say you don't even get a chance to really settle into the cruise and then boom, you're kicked off the ship right away. So that is a disadvantage. If you are new to cruising, maybe this is a good way to, you know, test it out, taste the waters. But if you're new to cruising, chances are you're probably not listening right now. Maybe you are. If you are, you know, maybe just planned your first cruise or something like that. Hey, look, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably going to like cruising. Go for it. Go for the five-day, the seven-day, the 25-day, if you can afford that. But if if you're if you're like most people, uh, maybe the first cruise, you want to do a shorter cruise, just to check it out. See if you're really going to like it. It's not for everybody, but it is for us, isn't it? Cruising is for us. And so the disadvantage to a short cruise is that it just doesn't last very long and then boom you you gotta you gotta get off you gotta go back to work or whatever so that's kind of where where the advantages and disadvantages are so how do you make that decision on whether or not it's worth it well you got to look at all the other factors going on like for instance how much pto do you have Uh, how easy is it for you to get to the port if you live in missouri and you have to drive 17 hours to get to Florida to go on a three-day cruise, maybe that's not worth it because you're going to spend like, what is my math there, 34 hours? Is that right? 17 plus 17. I'm a science guy, not a math guy. I'm a science guy, not a math. That was my attempt at a bones. It wasn't very good. Anyway, 
that's a that's a lot of time, you know. Like, what's your ratio there of travel time versus time on the ship? You got to take off extra days for travel, but maybe you can fly down or something. But that's gonna go into the next factor, which is how expensive is it gonna be? How much is it gonna cost you to get to the port if you have to travel six to eight hours? You're probably looking at a hotel the night before. Maybe the night after, but definitely the night before, I would recommend getting a hotel. Don't risk it getting in there that day. Uh, So you got to figure out the cost of it. Is it worth the money to stay? Sometimes a stay in a hotel is going to be a lot more than that day rate of the cruise itself. So where is it going to be? What kind of hotel do you have to get? What are your travel expenses? And then, of course, how much does the cruise itself cost? Because sometimes you can get killer deals on three-day cruises. My first cruise was on the Monarch of the Seas, Royal Caribbean ship, not even in service with them anymore. I want to say it was like $160 or something, somewhere, something crazy like that per person. Hey, that's amazing. Cape Canaveral is where I sailed out of. It's like a three-hour drive for me, less than three hours, really, probably two and a half hour drive for me. That is worth it. Okay, if I had to drive 12 hours, maybe it's still worth it. I don't know. That's for you to decide. What is that that time frame, though, when you say, okay, this is too far to go. I, I'm not going to go on this cruise because it's just too, too much time to get there. But I can tell you, I've gone to Key West for the weekend, and Key West for me is like an eight-hour drive. And I'm there for the weekend spending a lot more money than I would on a cruise and then driving all the way back. And I said, that was worth it. So for me, six to eight hours to get on an inexpensive cruise for three days, you can sign me up. That is worth my time right there. But, you know, it also depends, like I said, on on what kind of time off you have budgeted. So lots of things to consider when you're thinking about that short cruise. I don't know. Let me know. Fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Is a short cruise worth it for you? I know we got some some feedback on the Fantastic Cruising community and some different opinions there. Hey, keep it friendly, folks. What's good for you might not be good for somebody else and vice versa. But uh, look, uh, get, give me your opinions and, and maybe I'll talk about that in the next episode. What do you think? Is a three-day cruise worth it for you? And, and if it is, where, where do you draw the line? Where are you like, okay, if it's if it's a four-hour drive, I'm all for it. But if it's a seven-hour drive, no. Or if it's a four-and-a-half-hour drive, forget about it. You know, what are, your, what are your limitations? Maybe it depends on where the cruise is going. Maybe it depends on what cruise ship or cruise line it is on. All these things have to be considered. But it's like like many other things when it comes to cruising, It's not just a simple yes or no answer. I think it really depends on lots of different stuff. Now, another thing that happened on the Fantastic Cruising community, should I say on or in the Fantastic Cruising community? Anyway, another thing that happened is I asked you guys to post some pictures of some of your favorite marine mammals, and that turned out to be quite the popular post. So what I did is I actually, I looked at what everybody's input was, and I tallied it up to see what was the most popular. And the most popular marine mammal is, drumroll, the manatee. The manatee is the most popular marine animal that you guys chimed in on 
in that particular post. Right behind it is the dolphin. No surprise there. I actually was surprised the dolphin wasn't the first answer, but nope, right behind the dolphin. The manatee had six, dolphin had five votes, and then sort of an, an underdog, and that is the sea lion. Came up for a surprise four votes for the sea lion, followed by uh, humans. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then the orca. Okay, that's cool. I mean, look, this podcast is mostly focused on the Caribbean. There could be orca in the Caribbean, but your chances of seeing one, pretty slim. But I'm not going to say that you can't include creatures from other parts of the world in this because, you know, you can. We can talk about other places in this podcast. Orca, very cool animal. And you might see one at SeaWorld, I guess, if you're in the Orlando area. And then... After that, there were a lot of ones. There were seals, there were polar bears, there were whales, there were belugas, belugas, and then we get to um, some other entries. Now, look, I know I'm a science guy. I get a little hoity-toity sometimes with the science terminology, and, and I'm a teacher, so I got the... I got the teacher gene in me, you know, I'm constantly quizzing my friends and family and stuff like that. They Some, some of them enjoy it, some of them hate me for it. But look, I'm not trying to be judgy here, but I got some answers that caused me a little bit of concern. As a science educator, some of you guys don't know what mammals are. Now, look, I know that most of these answers were tongue-in-cheek and that you probably do know what a mammal is, but let me just read some of the entries I got. First of all, I said marine mammal, so um, the first one, human, I wanted to point out, which, to be honest, two of those were a picture of me from my mom and my cousin, so let's be fair there. But uh, that is a mammal, okay? Fair enough. To be a mammal, you got to have some sort of fur. You have to produce milk if you're a female you have live birth, unless you're one of those weird monotreme creatures. Um, you're an endotherm, which means you have an internal body temperature that is maintained within your metabolism. So these are all the mammal things, okay? Humans fit into that. I do all those. Well, I don't produce milk. I do buy milk at the store. Anyway, uh, but I do fit into the mammal category. However, not the marine category. Now, I'm not talking about our friends like Al Brock out there. Love you, Al Brock. I'm not talking about those kind of Marines. I'm talking about the other use of the word Marine, which basically is referring to salt water. So we're talking oceans, the Gulf of Mexico, things like that. Now, humans can go into salt water, but I don't think that I would call that their natural habitat. Now, some would argue that for me, maybe that is. But look, I, I'm going to tell you, I spend, unfortunately, more time out of salt water than I do in salt water. So I'm not a marine mammal. Now, the uh, the next one I wanted to point out was uh, somebody posted a picture of an, of an Asian river otter. I think it was an Asian river otter. It was definitely a river otter, not a sea otter. Now, one of the mistakes that people make when they come to Florida is they see otters in Florida, if they're if they're really lucky, and they think they're sea otters because they think everything in Florida is a sea thing, right? So they they see something in Florida, it's a sea animal. Well, I got to tell you, there are sea otters, but they're on the West Coast. They're California, Canada, Alaska. Those guys are in the cold Pacific. They're bigger than our otters, which, by the way, river otters are. There's different species all over the world, but in North America, the North American river otter is all over Canada and most of the United States, including Florida, like I said. 
They're smaller. They uh, they do go in the water, fresh water. They can't drink that salt water like those sea otters do. But here's a big key difference. Sea otters don't really come out of the water. They just hang out in that cold Pacific water all the time. And um, they're very well adapted for that. Where river otters, they're in the water, they're out of the water, they're in the water, they're out of water. They don't know what they want. But they're different. So so there's some differences there. So river otter, I kind of gave you a pass. Uh, but uh, but it's not technically, it's not a marine mammal. Now, we got two votes for sea turtles. People. Sea turtles are not mammals. Scales, ectotherms, egg layers. They're, these are reptiles. These are in the reptile group. My favorite class of animals, by the way, is the reptile class. So I love sea turtles. I do. I do, and, but uh, but not marine mammals. They are marine. Okay, so you, you got half right on that. And look, I'm just being tongue-in-cheek here, people. Don't take me too seriously. But anyway, let's move on. Stingrays. Okay, we got one vote for stingrays. Stingrays are not mammals. They're not ma- They are cuddly sometimes. Probably not most of the time. But they can be a little bit snuggly if you have something they want to eat. Uh, they are not warm-blooded. They do lay... No, they don't lay eggs. Stingrays don't lay eggs. They have live birth. Their friends, the skates, lay eggs, but it's, uh, it's you know, so so they got the live birth thing like a mammal, but um, but they're not warm-blooded. There's no fur on them. They have gills. They don't have lungs. Uh, they're ectotherms, so they're cold-blooded. So not a mammal, not a mammal. Now, finally, and the, I know the person who posted this knew it wasn't a mammal because they even made a joke about it, but the flamingo. Really? The flamingo? A, sea man, a marine mammal? Come on. First of all, I got to tell you, if you come to Florida and you see a pink bird that's not in a zoo or some kind of park as a, as a captive animal, it is probably not a flamingo. It's something called a roseate spoonbill, which we will definitely do as a cruise creature at some point. Flamingos do not live in Florida. Okay, there may be a chance that you would see a wild flamingo in Florida in a couple spots on extraordinarily rare occasions, but for the most part, you're going to be seeing plastic ones stuck in people's front yards, and that's about the extent of it. Flamingos are not marine mammals. They aren't really even marine animals, although there are flamingo species that live in the Caribbean and therefore in the islands, so I could kind of give you a little bit of a pass there. They're in the cruise creature realm for sure, and you can see them if you go to Nassau. You can see them in uh, definitely in the, the little botanical garden zoo area there, but if you go to someplace like Aruba, uh, Curacao, you're going to probably have a good chance of seeing some of these flamingos. But Anyway, I just, you know, as a as an educator of science, I just had to I had to take a minute. I had to take a minute, people, and I had to explain what makes a mammal a mammal. So you gotta have warm blood, you gotta have fur, you gotta in most cases there's always a most cases with science, you gotta have live birth. But still, thank you guys for uh, letting me know what some of your favorite marine mammals and other animals are. And if you want to expand on that, tell me what your favorite marine reptile is and why it's your favorite. Send one of those emails to fantasticcruising at gmail.com. And hey, I'll read it on the air. I'll, I'll, I'll tell everybody why it's your favorite reptile. It better be a reptile. I'm just saying. Anyway, let's move on to our next topic. Now, our next topic is very seasonally appropriate, 
And it is right now, we are, if you're listening to this in the future, we are now kind of in the middle of August, kind of getting towards the end of August. And that puts us kind of smack in the middle or the beginning middle of hurricane season. So let's let's take a minute. Let's talk about cruising during hurricane season. Now, hurricane season, if you're not familiar if you live in Florida or any of the coastal states that are that are susceptible to hurricanes, uh, the hurricane months are the Jason months, which means July, August, September, October, November. And the reason that these are the hurricane months is because that is when the waters in the Atlantic are warm enough for these big storms to form. The warm water gives more energy to the storm, allowing it to metamorphosize into a hurricane of various strengths. And so this is why it's hurricane season. Like if you go swimming right now in the Tampa Bay area in the ocean, those water temperatures could be in the 80s. So out in the Atlantic, it's not going to be that warm, but it's still it's warm enough to feed those storms and turn some of them into big tropical storms and maybe even into a hurricane. So this is hurricane season. Now, what are the advantages of cruising during hurricane season? Well, I'll tell you the biggest one is the price. It is probably cheaper to sail during hurricane season than any other time of the year. Now, just like in science, there's always going to be exceptions to that rule. But on the whole, this is one of the most inexpensive times to sail. And so if you're looking for a good rate on a cruise, you want to look in, especially September, October is maybe the, the best time. And there's a good reason for September and October being the best time for rates. It's because it's also the busiest time for these storms. So we'll get into that in a second. But here's some other advantages to, uh, to cruising during hurricane season. Let's say that you want to go to Nassau or maybe you're going to go on the, the new Virgin ship when it starts sailing. You're going to go to Bimini. These are islands that are not further south than Miami. Now, I know a lot of people live up north and they think Florida is a sunshine state. It's always summer. It's not always summer. Okay, relative to where you live, it might be like summer, but we do get cold temperatures. And by cold temperatures, I mean there is usually at least one week in Florida where the temperature drops down into the 40s consistently for the whole week. And down in the Miami area, it's definitely going to get down into the 50s, and it might even stay there during the coldest winter months. Now, if you go on a cruise and you're all excited because you're going to Freeport or Nassau or Bimini or one of these places, you might be in for a little bit of a shock because it might be cold. It might be jacket weather cold. And I don't know about you, but uh, unless I'm cruising to Canada or Alaska, I ain't looking for cold weather on my cruise. I want to get in the water. I want to be wearing uh, swimming trunks. I want to. I don't want cold weather. I, I I've gotten on cruise ships when it was cold, like the first day. It doesn't feel right. There's something wrong with that. It's just it's just wrong. It just doesn't make any sense. So, if you want to go on a cruise in October, September. November, I know I didn't say those in the right order, but look, it's still warm here, okay? We're not going to get our cold temperatures, 
until we get into usually January and February. Maybe you get a cold snap in December, but you're safe in November. It's not going to be that cold in, in Nassau. The weather um, is going to be a little bit warmer than it would be if, say, you went in, in those really popular months. Cruising in January, February, super popular. If you're going to Cozumel, Grand Cayman, no worries. You're fine. You're going far enough south. You're close enough to the equator. Weather's not going to be an issue for you down there. But if you are cruising to the Northern Caribbean, Key West, any of those places, watch out because it's going to be chilly depending on, on the weather. Now, that's not to say that we can't have a week in January where it's 75 degrees as an average temperature. It's still kind of chilly if you live in Florida. But uh, but yeah, so that's another advantage. Here's another advantage to cruising during hurricane season. It's probably going to be less crowded on the ship itself. Now, I was on the Carnival Breeze not too long ago, and it was it was a great cruise. Had a great time. It was, it was the Lalita Loca Cruise Geeks group cruise, and it was amazing. Great group of people, lots of fun. But you know what? That ship was super crowded. It was mega crowded, and honestly, I went on it. It was a Carnival Breeze. I went on that ship thinking it was going to be my favorite ship because it had all the stuff I like about the Vista and all the stuff I didn't like about the Vista wasn't on there. I didn't come off with a great impression of the ship. Now, I don't think it was the ship's fault. I feel like if I sailed it again, I would have a much different impression of that ship, and I still think it would be one of my favorites, but it wasn't because it was just so darn crowded that it just changed the whole atmosphere of of the cruise. Now, it, it, like I said, it was still an amazingly wonderful, awesome time because one, it was a cruise and I ain't never had a bad one of those. And two, the company was top freaking notch. Okay. So it was amazing. If you've never gone on a group cruise, do it. It's awesome. The camaraderie, the fun, it's just, it's, it's just a lot. Of, it's a blast. So do that. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was crowded, not fun. And I'll tell you another thing, Cruising during the hurricane months, especially if you go in the late August, September, October, November, all the little kitties are back in school. Now, look, I work with kids. It's like what I do. I, I teach, so I work with kids. It's a normal thing for me. I like kids while I'm working, while I'm teaching them. When I go on a cruise, I don't want them anywhere near me. <laughs> I am done with them. I no, that's not true. I don't I don't dislike children, but look, I'm I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes they can be a little annoying on the cruise, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? They're running around, they're crazy. I will say that on that Breeze cruise, it was like super crazy. There there were kids all over the place, older kids, you know, running amok, causing havoc and stuff like that. So, uh if, if you don't want to worry about that, if you're looking for a more laid-back, relaxing, kind of adult atmosphere, cruising during hurricane season can help increase your odds of getting that experience. Now, there are some things that you want to know, though, before you book this cruise. There are some disadvantages, some negatives to cruising during hurricane season. The most obvious being hurricanes. <laughs> Let's face it, that's actually the only... <laughs> It's the only thing that's negative about it, but that's a pretty big negative. And, and it doesn't have to be a hurricane. It could be a tropical storm. Uh, it could just be bad weather. Your odds of getting kind of rainy weather are a little bit higher than they would be if you cruise in, say, the, the winter, spring, 
that's when you're going to get in in most of the Caribbean, definitely in Florida, you're going to get the the driest weather. But um, but yeah, that hurricane or big storm could come through, and it could greatly alter your plans. And I'm talking like your cruise could get canceled, your cruise might get rerouted, you may go on the cruise and have to deal with bad weather, rough seas. How are you with seasickness? These are things to consider, but I would also say that with a caveat, and that caveat is usually cruises don't get canceled. They can they can move around the ocean, <laughs> they can move around the Gulf of Mexico, they can move around the Caribbean, and they can usually do a pretty good job of avoiding the storm. So, uh, so what so what is the verdict here? Should you cruise during hurricane season? Well. Just like with uh, shorter cruises, I think it really just depends on your situation. So let's break that down and find out what, what that means exactly. So first of all, what's your budget to cruise? Maybe this is all you can afford. I mean, sometimes you can't afford to go on those cruises in prime time. If you don't have kids, this could be another advantage. Do you have flexible time off? Can you... Say, take a little bit of PTO, but then if the storm's coming in, you can reschedule. Is that, a, is that an issue for you? How close are you to the cruise ports? If you're like me and you literally work next to one and your cruise gets canceled, yeah, it sucks, but, you know, whatever. I'll just go in and work those days and then I'll just take another cruise down the road when it gets rescheduled. So that's something to consider. Now, speaking of that... If you are going to cruise at all, actually, let me just say this. If you cruise at all, I strongly recommend that you get traveling traveler's insurance. Now, if you're going to be cruising during hurricane season, this is extra important because if you do live out of state, if you do have a long drive, you have hotels, if you have airplane tickets, all that sort of thing, it's going to cover you. It's going to cover you so that you don't have to worry if your cruise gets canceled, if you can't make it, that, you know, look at the different insurance packages, but it's going to help you out. But I'm going to look, look, this isn't really what this particular subject is about, but let me just go into my little soapbox here. Always, always, always get traveler's insurance because of the medical coverage. Your medical insurance is almost definitely not going to work on the cruise ship. It's almost definitely not going to work in the ports of call where that cruise ship is going. You go, eh, Matt, I'm healthy. I'm young. I never go to the doctor. Well, guess what? Maybe you're out at Stingray City and you are the unlucky rare person that gets stung in the side of the leg by a stingray. Maybe you eat some conch in Nassau and you get food poisoning. You never know. Maybe your appendix ruptures. Anything can happen. You fall while you're doing some excursion and break your leg. This is stuff that could happen to anybody, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how careful you are. If you don't have traveler's insurance, you could end up with some life debilitating bills, life debilitating, debil, bill, Life to bills, and there's something there, but I can't find it. Anyway, get travel insurance. That's my little soapbox. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. But basically, just analyze your situation. If you are in a place where you can 
rebook your cruise. You're, you're not worried about going to a specific port. Um, you're not totally dead set on having sunny weather. If, if these are okay with you and, and you're going to be risking these things, but you're also spending a lot less money. So, um, I'd say if, if you're okay with that, it's definitely worthwhile, especially if you cruise more than once a year, then planning one cruise during hurricane season, it's not a bad thing. Cause if something happens, yeah, you know, you got another cruise. I know it's, it's easy for me to say, yeah, if my cruise got canceled, there'd be, there'd be tears, but you know, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. In fact, that I would say is the most important thing. If you are going to cruise during hurricane season, you got to have the right attitude. You got to have a go with the flow. Don't sweat the small stuff. Let it go. Let it go. Let No, I'm not doing that. You've got to be able to be okay with things not going the way they were planned. If you're good with that, then by all means, book that cruise during hurricane season. Now, if you want to increase your odds of missing out on the worst weather, I would say in July, early August, you're probably okay. It's very rare that we have that many storms during those early parts of the summer. It's not impossible. It's why it's called hurricane season, people. Don't come back to me and be like, Matt, you said it was okay. Look, I'm just saying your odds are really good. If you go in late October or early or any of November, really, you're probably okay. We don't typically get a lot of storms during that time. Again, caveat, okay, asterisk, all that stuff. It can happen. It does happen on occasion. But normally, the bulk of the storms tend to come through in late August through September, early October. That's when they most of them come through. That's when your your worst odds are. But that's also when your prices are going to be probably the lowest too. So, you know, you pay your money, you take your chances. But I would say for me, it's definitely worthwhile trying to get that cruise going during hurricane season. I don't know. What do you guys think? Send me your emails at fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Notice I keep saying that because I want to get more, I want to get more listener feedback. I really want to make you guys a part of this podcast. And and I really think, look, if you haven't yet, go over to the Always Be Booked podcast with uh, Tommy Casabona and uh, and check out, I did a, a, an interview. He was nice enough to have me on there to do an interview. But um, but I think he really, he think, I think he really nails that well. He's got great audience participation and uh, and it's it's one of the most popular things about his podcast. And, and I, I don't want to copy off Tommy, all right? But uh but but I think that I think that my audience, uh, you guys have we have our own discussions and, and our own things to say, and I want to get interactive with you guys as well. And I think that that can be a really cool part of this podcast. So send me those emails, guys. And I do have some emails for this week. I did ask a question last week about your favorite cruise line and why, and I did get a little bit of feedback. So just let me go over those. First, um, I didn't get a lot of feedback, so, you know, emails, I'm just saying emails, but I did get some. So one of them I got was from Amanda. Amanda is a good friend of mine, Roy and Amanda, and uh, she's also been a, a consistent contributor. So thank you very much, Amanda. She's really liked the miracle. And hey, I'm on the same page as you are, Amanda, because the legend is my favorite ship. 
and that's the same class. It's a spirit class uh, on Carnival, uh, but she's really anxious to try the Pride. She says, hopefully, hashtag Bermuda or bust 2021. Uh, but then she says, heck, I like all ships. And you know what? I'm right there with you. If it's a cruise ship, I'm happy. I'm probably okay on a cargo ship, to be honest. Just get me to the ports and I'm good. But but yeah, obviously, cruise ships have some perks over cargo ships. I think you can do that, though. I think there are, I think you can ride on certain cargo ships. I don't know. It's interesting. If anybody knows about that, let me know. I'd be in, intrigued by that uh, possibility there. And we also heard from Stephen, who is also a regular contributor. Thank you, Stephen. And basically, Stephen actually asked a question in the first week about this and his Goldilocks ship being sort of that uh, spirit class, not too big, not too small ship. And so he's like, hey, I already answered this, but I'm just letting you know I answered this. And uh, and so, yeah. But the, I, I think I'm, again, I think I'm right there with you. I, I feel like the, the legend, the spirit class is uh, is where it's at. And so that's two votes, right, for the for the spirit class. So that's that's pretty interesting right there. Now we also heard from Jonathan. Now Jonathan says that he has only sailed with Carnival and he sailed fantasy class on the sensation, conquest class on the liberty, and out of those he would choose the conquest class, but he's about to sail on the magic on September eighth. Lucky you, Jonathan. And uh, with all the research he's done, he honestly thinks the dream class will be his favorite class. So uh, get back to us on that, Jonathan, and let us know. Um, Jonathan, he may be a um, he may be a guest host on here one day. Amanda might be too. As a matter of fact, both of them are creators. So uh, let us know what uh, what you think. Now, Jonathan also asked a question, and if you guys have questions, send those to fantasticcruising at gmail.com. And uh, his question was, and this is a fun question, if you had the power slash ability to breathe underwater, and, and that is an ability I would very much like to have, what sea creature would you ride to get around? Well, now, I read this question in advance, um, and I put a lot of thought into this, and after lots of thought, I still have mixed feelings because there's so many different sea creatures to choose from. But I think that I'm going to have to go with a giant squid just because they're really cool. And well, really that's the only reason just because they're really cool. I mean, I, I thought of some of the animals that live closer to the surface and I thought if I can breathe underwater, I don't need to be close to the surface. So that kind of eliminated like whale sharks and dolphins. And I thought, well, maybe like a, a different kind of shark or, Something like that. I don't know. What would you guys what would you guys ride around if you could breathe underwater? I just want to be able to breathe underwater. Okay, I don't even have to ride anything. I just want to breathe underwater. That would be amazingly cool. All right, now we've got another question, and uh, this one is from Kyle. And Kyle says, congrats on the new podcast. Actually, I think this one came in right after I recorded the last episode. So we just just barely missed it. So I'm going to get it on this one, Kyle. And this is the question. Can you share the real story of how the lionfish got into the Atlantic? I heard it was someone from an aquarium that pumped three of them into the ocean. And all of this was the result. By the way, what were you doing on that day? Hey, now, 
Hey, now, I've never had a fish aquarium with lionfish, and I would never release them into the wild, okay? I am, I am environmentally responsible when it comes to that sort of thing. But, uh, but that, that is an issue in Florida. If you come to Florida and you look at the plants and you look at the animals, the majority of things that you see, especially when it comes to animals that you notice, are probably what we call invasive or exotic species. There's different names that are specific to different exact situations, but basically they're animals that were brought here by humans. So uh, maybe on purpose, maybe on accident. Like we have marine toads that were introduced on purpose, which was really stupid. They brought them over to eat sugarcane beetles so that they wouldn't eat the sugarcane, and that didn't work out well because marine toads are super toxic. Nothing in Florida can eat them very successfully. They get huge, like almost the size of a baseball glove. I mean, not quite that big, but they get big and, um, and they're, and because they're super toxic, nothing's eating them. So they're getting big and they're having their 30,000 babies at a time. Yes, you heard that right. And so that's a, that's a recipe for a very large amount of the species being here and they're, they're bad because the animals eat them. They get sick, they die. So it's, so it's not good, but, but a lot of, we have a lot of fish like freshwater fish, like Oscars and Placostomus and all these things that you see in the waterways here. Tilapia were introduced purposely in Florida. Uh, there's a lot of plants that were brought in here. The little brown lizards, the little anoles that you see everywhere. Those came in probably with tropical plants. So there's a lot of invasive species or exotic species that live in Florida and have basically established here. Sometimes they're super detrimental to our uh, local native wildlife. Sometimes they, they aren't, but the lionfish is an example of one that is super detrimental. So if you have pets or anything like that, it's really important that you never release those into the wild. Even if it's native to that area, that's generally a bad idea because there might be diseases that can be introduced. There's a lot of reasons not to do that. If you can't keep the animal, then don't take it home as a pet. That's what I'm saying, unless you know exactly how to do that. But anyway, um, the lionfish is an interesting story because yes, they are super popular in the pet trade, despite the fact that they have 11 painfully venomous barbs or spines on their back. They're beautiful fish. And so uh, they're they're popular in the pet trade, and so they're they're in a lot of fish aquariums, and they do really well. They're really hardy. They're tough fish, and they're here. And so there's different theories now, Kyle. Unfortunately, I don't really know the true answer to this question because I don't think anybody does. And 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 in reality, there's probably more than one source for where lionfish got into the waters, but they are all throughout the Caribbean now. So whether that started in Florida or it started in different locations. It's hard to say. Um, some people say it's from the pet trade. Fish got released. There's there's stories about storms. There's stories about people just dumping them. There's, there's all kinds of stories. Uh, there's also a theory that they have migrated over on their own, like naturally. And so other animals have done that. We have a, a bird that lives in Florida that is called the cattle egret, and they're originally from Africa, and they came over on their own. So uh, in that case, it's kind of a natural progression. Coyotes have done that throughout parts of North America. Armadillos have done that. So that's something that happens, usually not across from other continents, but, you know, cattle egret did it. And certainly, you know, we, we talk about seven seas and all these different oceans, but in reality, they're all connected. It's one ocean 
really. Uh, so a lionfish could travel from the Pacific and end up in the Atlantic. It's just a long trip, and they're going to have really tired fins at the end of it. But seriously, they are a huge issue. If you do like to eat seafood, they are supposedly quite tasty, like a dry, flaky fish. I guess that's good. I don't, I don't like seafood. Just don't like the taste of it. I wish I did. But um, if you do like seafood, one of the best things you can do, environmentally helpful things you can do, is to eat lionfish that were caught in the Caribbean or Florida. So you can even go spearfishing for them. I don't know that they do well with like fishing lines. Maybe they do. Some fishermen out there might know the answer to that. But mostly I hear about people spearfishing for them, which would be a lot of fun if you were doing some good as well, and especially if you were going to then eat the, the fish. But uh, yeah, so unfortunately, Kyle, I can't really give you the answer that you want because quite frankly, I don't know what it is. And I don't think anybody who's being honest knows for sure what that answer is either. But most likely, it's not just one thing. All right, well, that's all of the listener emails for this week. Like I said, I'd love to get more emails so I can read them on future podcasts. So one more time, where are you going to send that email? Fantastic cruising. That's two C's. Fantastic with a C. Cruising with a C at gmail.com. Send me your questions. Send me your stories. Send me your comments. Send me your concerns. Please don't post those things. I mean, you can post things on the cruising community, but if it's something specific that I ask on the podcast, please send that as an email so there's no spoilers. Anyway, let's move on to the final topic of the podcast. And I thought, for this podcast, I was I was kind of thinking about what do I want to talk about? What topics do I want to cover? And I want to make sure that this podcast is unique. You know, that it, it is my voice and it is something different because there's a lot of quality podcasts out there. Sherry from Cruise Tips TV has a podcast. It's great stuff. Obviously, Always Be Booked, great stuff. Cruise Radio, great stuff. There's a few other podcasts out there too, providing a lot of great information. If you're into Royal Caribbean, there's a Royal Caribbean one that's really good. So lots of good information out there for you to get. So how do I stand apart? Well, obviously I'm the creature guy. So I've already talked about creatures, but I'm also the snorkeling and diving guy. I feel like, I feel like that's my niche. That's where I fit in. And so I decided that one of the segments I'm going to do from time to time is to give you guys some uh, snorkeling or scuba diving tips. So we're going to start off with this first snorkeling tip is going to be about snorkeling on a boat trip. So just let me make this clear right away. When you do a snorkeling excursion or when you snorkel as part of an excursion, there are two likely ways that that's going to happen. One is going to be that you're at a beach or a rocky shore where you can just get in the water and swim out and start snorkeling. I like to do that because that usually means I get more time in the water. Sometimes, like uh, this has happened to me in Belize, you go to these little, little bitty islands and they'll only let you snorkel with like a guided tour, which is kind of not my favorite way to do it. But, you know, it's still, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Usually they'll let you kind of putz around a little bit afterwards, but not go out on the full reef. But anyway, most of the time, it's either you can go out and do your own thing, go with a guide, or you're on a boat. So we're focusing on the boat today. So what are some tips for, uh, for snorkeling from a boat? Well, first of all, you need to know what you're doing. Now you're going, Matt, 
That's why we're listening to you about snorkeling tips because we don't know what we're doing. And now you're telling us it's like when you have to get that job, but you need the experience to get the job and you need the job to get the experience. Look, you don't need to be an expert snorkeler. You just need to be prepared. You need to know how to fit things. And the most important thing you need to know how to fit is your mask. Okay, that is the most important. So if you have your own mask, you want to know how to buy it. And if you are renting the mask, which most boat trips come with the gear, it's included, whether you bring your own or not. So you can use their gear if you choose to do that. But they're going to have maybe, hopefully, a few different mask sizes. Now, they're not going to come around and say, you know, what size is your face? Is it small, medium, or large? Uh, What they're going to do is they're going to give you a mask. Unless you're like a kid, maybe they'll give, you know, a really small face. They might give you a smaller mask. What you want to do is... You want to pull your hair back and you want to put that mask against your face and then you want to inhale with your nose. I mean, if you inhale with your mouth, this is not going to work. Inhale with your nose, release the mask, don't hold it anymore, let go of it while you're inhaling and if that mask stays on your face, then it fits. If you if the air is rushing in through the side of the mask and it's falling off your face, it's too big for you. If you put the mask up to your face and it's like uncomfortably against the ridge of your nose or something like that, that's uh, too small for you. So make sure that that mask fits. Also, make sure you have a mask that that isn't like kind of warped. You know, if it's an older mask, if it's a cheap mask, sometimes that silicone or rubber will warp and it won't give you a good seal. Ask them for a different one and uh, hopefully they have a better mask for you to try on. So know how to prep that. And also you want to get it defogged. Most of these places will give you either a dip or they'll give you some spray to defog that mask. You want to do that before you get in the water. Don't wait until you get in the water and then go, oops. Because, I mean, you can use saliva. That does work quite effectively. But, um, but you know, the spray is a little bit easier on you. So do that. The other thing is most places are going to require you to wear a snorkeling vest. This is especially for the, the gentlemen out there. Make sure that you try that on standing up and get it comfortable. Now, you want it to be snug. If it's too loose, it's going to ride up on you. It's going to be really uncomfortable. But guys, if it's too snug, do I even need to say it? Just make sure that thing fits right. Make sure it should be it should be snug, but not too snug. And you don't want to try it on and get it all adjusted sitting down. Then you go to get up and then you're singing soprano for the rest of the cruise. Make sure that you try it on standing up because that's going to be more like the position you're going to be in in the water. It's kind of stretched out like that. So get that ready. And then... Get your gear ready. So they're going to give you your gear. You know, try the mask on. Get the snorkeling vest on. Try the fins on. Then take the fins off. Do not walk around the boat. And this is a boat this time, people, not a ship. With your fins on. One, they're probably going to yell at you because you're being a knucklehead. And if you're walking around with fins, not only do you look like John Cleese doing his silly walks routine, but you also are likely to fall and crack your head open. Remember that traveler's insurance? Okay, you don't want to have to use it. So don't walk around the boat with your fin on, fins on. Wait until you're getting ready to get into the water. And speaking of getting into the water, if you are a comfortable swimmer, a comfortable snorkeler, 
This is what's going to happen typically on the snorkeling boat. They're going to say, pool's open. They're going to give you some instructions first. They're going to say, pool's open. And once they say, pool's open, there's going to be probably at least two ways to get into the water. And most likely, one's going to be the easy way and one's going to be the not so easy way. Now, by easy way, I mean usually a ladder, a platform, even stairs if you're on like a catamaran. That's great. There's probably everybody else that's on the snorkeling boat lined up to do this. And none of them or most of them don't have a clue as to what they're doing. They don't know how to put their gear on. They haven't tried the mask on yet. You're going to be waiting. It's like traffic jam. I don't know about you, but I want to get in that water. If I'm on a boat snorkel, I have a limited amount of time in the water. I want every single second of it that I can get. So what do I do? I look for that alternate path. The alternate path is often just jumping off the side of the boat. Now, that doesn't mean you can just jump off the side of the boat wherever. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Don't be like, Matt from Fantastic Cruising said I could just jump off the side of the boat. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they will tell you that, hey, if you're, if you're comfortable, you can do a giant stride off the side of the boat right here. If they give you that option and you're comfortable doing it, do it. You're going to save a lot of time. Another tip is locate that spot, even ask them, hey, where are we going to get in the water? If you don't want to do like the giant stride thing, or if you think they might not have that option and just be ready, get near it so that when they say pools open and everybody stands up and starts looking for their gear to put on because they haven't done it for the 30 minute trip out to the snorkel spot, then you're ready to go and you're going to beat the line. You know, it's like getting up early to go to work. So you miss rush hour. Anyway, that's, that's what you can do. Get in the water quicker to increase your time in the water. Also, you have that snorkeling vest, you want to get that ready. So if you are like me, then I get as all the air out of it. I try and squeeze, I squeeze the bejesus out of that thing. I don't want any air in that snorkeling vest because I don't want to wear it. They make me wear it. I have to wear it. I don't want anything to do with it. It's just a nuisance. It's in my way. And so I don't want any air in there that's going to keep me from going underwater. So I get all the air out of it. But if you are not going to be swimming underwater, if you're not as strong of a swimmer, if you're not as comfortable of a swimmer, you want to put a little bit of air in there. And, and if you're going to do that, you know, you can fill it up. You probably don't need to fill it up all the way though, because it's going to keep you floating a little bit. I mean, you don't want it like a life vest. If you're really uncomfortable swimming in the water, ask them for like a noodle or a life jacket. And that's going to make it super easy for you. Um, but you know, hopefully you can advance out of that if, if you do need that. But if not, hey, that's cool. I mean, my mom's a, a noodle snorkeler. She's she's perfectly happy. She sees all the cool stuff. So you can you can be a noodle snorkeler. I won't make fun of you to your face. Anyway, uh, the next thing you want to do is pay attention to where you're allowed to snorkel. So they're going to tell you, stay between this area and this area. They're going to give you some sort of instructions. And it's not always easy to tell because you're on a boat. It's just water. You know, they might be like, don't go past that buoy. Don't go past that boat. But they might also be like, just kind of stay in this area. They might say, stay to the bow of the boat. Sometimes this is a big safety concern. There might be currents. There might be things like uh, other boats traffic coming through. So you definitely want to pay attention to where you are allowed to snorkel and heed those warnings. Don't make them yell at you. They're giving you that information for your own safety follow it take responsibility for your safety also pay attention to what you're allowed to do you know i always want to know am i allowed to dive down in this site am i allowed to uh, 
go over here by myself. Like, I want to know these things. I don't want to get yelled at. I hate getting yelled at. You know, like when I was a kid, the lifeguards would yell at me. It freaked me out. I'm very sensitive that way. So don't yell at me. If you meet me in person, come up and say hi. I'm very shy in person, but don't yell at me because I'll go in a corner and cry. But maybe not anymore, but I'll be upset. Don't yell at me. But uh, but yeah, anyway, find out what the rules are. When I was dive, when I was snorkeling in uh, Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, it was on a very crowded sea turtle snorkel. And of course, everybody's crowded around the sea turtles. And I didn't know if I was allowed to swim down. And uh, and then I was kind of watching to see what, what other people did. And somebody swam down. And I guess they got too close to the turtles. The guy came down and basically pulled this guy's leg. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to get in trouble for scaring sea turtles. That's like terrible so then i was real cautious but i kind of figured out and then talked to one of the guys and they were like you can go down just don't you know don't like crowd the turtles or anything which is cool i like totally respect that rule uh, so but no know, know what those limits are ahead of time now here this is maybe the most important tip i can give you it is such a commonly uh it's such a common mistake that people make and i hear them complain about it all the time people go on these snorkel tours and they're like it was so crowded i kept getting kicked in the face and and I, my mask got kicked off and it was just miserable well guess what you don't have to stay with the herd don't stay with the herd first of all half of them are going to be swimming like bobbers in the water they're not even looking down they're just talking to each other taking selfies and stuff like that the other half are kicking you in the face or getting kicked in the face get away from those people they're scaring all the animals away now maybe there's somebody feeding the fish or something but they're probably scaring the animals away just as soon as you get in the water there's going to be a mass of people especially at the beginning of the snorkel all grouped together that's where you don't want to be Get away from them. Go away. Go Stay in the area you're supposed to stay in, but get away from those people. Go out as far as you can without getting too far and start to slowly work your way back in. Those people are going to spread out a little bit probably, but they're never going to spread out completely. They're always going to be glopped together, getting in each other's way, and, uh, and you don't need that. You don't have to deal with that. Just move away. Make it your own snorkel. If you are on a guided snorkel, sometimes this is not possible to avoid, which is why I'm not a big fan of guided snorkels. But uh, if you are, you can still usually separate yourself a little bit and that can make a big difference. Now, because you are in the water with other people, you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of where you are and where others are. So if you're swimming around, especially if you're swimming underwater, you want to know where other snorkelers are. If you do swim underwater, before you come up, you want to look up, point up, and then come up. Okay, and that's going to decrease the odds of you having an embarrassing encounter with your head and somebody's butt or maybe getting kicked in the face because you came up right where somebody was kicking their fin. So make sure that you are aware of where you are for, for your safety and everybody else's safety. And also check your position regularly. You'd be surprised how fast a current can throw you off course and all of a sudden you're like really far away from the boat. I have towed more than one person in for the, who started to drift too far away from the snorkel boat and uh, and then kind of freaked out and everything. So uh, don't make them jump in the water and save you. Don't make me pull your butt back to the boat. <laughs> Unless you're my mom, then I love you and it's okay. But otherwise, you need to be aware of where you're at and make sure you're not getting too far away. That's another reason to start as far out as you can go and work your way back in 
towards the boat. That's the smartest thing to do. Wear a watch, a waterproof watch, obviously, so that you know how much time you have. Because I'm always paranoid. When's the snorkel going to end? How much time do I have left? Well, ask them how long you're going to be in the water. Sometimes they'll give you a variable answer, but you'll get a rough idea and you know they're not going to leave without you. They're going to do a head count, everything. So make sure you got a watch or something. So you're watching the time and, uh, you know, oh, speaking of knowing where you are and my mom, make sure you get on the right snorkel boat when you go back. <laughs> Don't get on. She got on the wrong boat. She got on the wrong boat. And then they, they figured it out. They got her back onto the right boat. But anyway, just be aware of that. And then my final tip for this is one way to get a little bit of extra time in is you're coming in when they call everybody in. You know, you don't have to like make an Olympic swim for the boat to get back on there. Take your time. It's going to take those people a while to get back on the boat. They don't, a lot of them don't know what they're doing. They're bumping around. They're trying to get their fins off. They're trying to get their mask off. They're sitting up on top of the ladder because they don't realize there's people behind them. Don't worry about it. Just kind of hang back towards the end. You know, make sure they know you're making an effort to come back to the boat. Otherwise, you're going to upset the captain. But, you know, hang out near the boat. This is why you want to go away from the boat when you start. And then check out the area right by the boat and just, you know, be very hyper aware of how that line's moving. When they get down to just a few people, then go ahead and pop up to the surface and head towards the boat and get ready to, to get out of the water. Don't take your fins off until you have a good hold of that ladder or those stairs though, because you may not be able to swim back as easily without those fins on. So those, those are all of my tips for boat snorkeling. There's probably a lot more I could go into, but I think that's a good way to start. If you have any questions about snorkeling, if you have any comments, if you have any, uh, any tips you want to give, a good way to do that is to, you can post it on the Fantastic Cruising community, or you know what I'm going to say, send that email to fantasticcruising at gmail.com. All right, everybody, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Fantastic Cruising. Thank you all for listening to the very end here. And again, please, if you'd like to help support this podcast, go over to Patreon. You can just go to Patreon and search for Fantastic Cruising or go to patreon.com slash Fantastic Cruising if you'd like to become a patron and help me out. Also, make sure to go over to the YouTube channel and to the Fantastic Cruising community and subscribe to both of those or become a member of the cruising group and subscribe on YouTube. Spread the word. And if you do have this podcast through Apple, through iTunes, one of the best ways to help me out is actually to go over there and leave a review on iTunes. The stars are great. A uh, written review is fantastic. And that really does help Apple to know to kind of push this podcast up the top of the list when people start searching for stuff. And again, I do have some merch available, t-shirts and, and whatnot. So anyway, thank you for listening in. And until next time, have a fantastic day. All right, thank you for sticking around. Look, I'm not going to do this at every 
episode finale like I did with the Cruise Geeks. At least I don't think I will. But maybe I will, so you should listen to make sure. Anyway, no. Uh, but I did want to reward you with a little a little bit of information, a little inside information on who the next guest co-host is going to be. I'm not going to say who it's going to be. I'm just going to give you this clue. 